to Something for the Turbo, the weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. We're heading over to Southern California for today's conversation as I'm very happy to be joined by Ryan Steers. Ryan is a former pro mountain biker and gravel racer and we talk about his background, some of the races he's done from the Leadville 100 to the Dirty Kanza, some of the experiences he had, the lessons he learned from nutrition to pain, some of the other amazing events you may not have heard in the US that are definitely worth checking out, just the general cycling scene. We also talk about CBD as Ryan is now working with Floyd Landis on his Floyds of Leadville project. That's a, a fascinating topic of discussion. We talk about wine, we talk about general travel, and I think it's a conversation that anyone who's interested in cycling and gravel biking, mountain biking and travel in the US would enjoy immensely. Anyway, without further ado, here's Ryan. Ryan, thanks very much for joining me today. How are you doing? You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. I just uh, actually got back from a nice little Tuesday morning gravel ride, so feeling pretty good. Awesome. And you've got gravel right out the front door where you are? Where, where, where exactly are you living? Right out the front door. I'm north of Los Angeles in this awesome little community called uh, Agora Hills. So we're right against the national park. We've got Chesborough National Park, like a quarter mile away, the Santa Monica Mountains, the trails are all back open now. So it's fantastic. Wow. Okay. So you're able to get out and get riding again. Was it locked down for a little bit, the national parks? or It was. Yeah. The trails were closed, at least in Los Angeles County, um, every day. And then I'm right on the Ventura County border and Ventura was open during the weekdays. So you could still squeak out for a weekday rides, but on the weekends, it was all, all the trails were shut down for a couple of weeks. So it was some time to reconnect with the road, I suppose. Yeah, crazy times. Yeah, talking of the road, I mean, it's um, we were just chatting before we started recording. I think we could probably chat for about four or five hours, given like your interesting story and some of your in- your interests verging from wine to all kinds of racing and obviously the work that you're doing now with uh, Floyds of Leadville and the CBD side. But should we start from the beginning? You started in track and field, if I remember correctly, right? I did, yeah. So in high school, I did a number of track events, indoor track, outdoor track, cross country. It was a... Yeah, like a medium distance runner on the track, 800 meters, uh, experimented with the hurdles, 400 was kind of my game. So then moved to high jump in college, went to USC and uh, high jumped there and then hit the crew team. Middle distance to high jump. That's a bit of a random. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm freakishly tall. So it was, I could just kind of fall over backwards over the bar and do okay okay and what, what, what sort of times are you coming in on the 400 oh man i don't even remember it was low 50s somewhere around there yeah. i think quick and did you feel it's, it's quite interesting i think a lot of runners end up getting into cycling and, and once they've sort of got their cycling legs it, there's a transition did you feel that you were that kind of punchy mill distance kind of engine when you got into the cycling career as well yeah definitely more i'm not a sprinter and i am all slow twitch so cannot sprint okay. but uh can go for a while at uh, a medium speed okay i thought maybe with a 400 you might have had a bit of a kick on you there given the 400 yeah. background but a little bit of a kick, but yeah, nothing shorter than that. Yeah, I think you're being modest. So, um, <laughs> so you track and field, and then and then you sort of transitioned on into the bike, right? It started off on the roadside. Yeah, right? it did. Got really. I was I was okay at running and did pretty well at it, and had the fitness to realize I was okay at it. But I I did not like it. I got bored easily and got into biking, just wanting to see places you can cover a whole lot of ground on a bike that you you can't on a run so that's what drew me in initially and got hooked on uh, some road racing out here in LA and yeah what's I, mean, I can agree more I think there's no better way to see the world than on a bike but I've, I've often said that but talk us through the LA scene it's it's getting bigger and bigger right the crit scene in, in LA is that is that where you're riding it is. I yeah. I was. I loved the road races again for the scenery, but I came to quickly realize there aren't many road races in LA, and the ones that are in the middle of nowhere. But uh, did some. I grew up in Virginia, so did some road racing back there in the summer. And it's you know you're in the hills of West Virginia. It's beautiful. These great long road races, and then you do road races in LA, and they're all circuit races and crit races. And oh, I I really I just didn't enjoy it. So. I love that. Oh yeah. I was, I'm, I'm not aerodynamic at all. So I was the guy, the, the doofus in the front, uh, that everyone was sitting behind, not realizing why I was, uh, 
why I was alone in the front. So then you ended up because it's quite an unusual transition. You normally see you normally see mountain bikers going to road, but you went the other way. I did. Of. Yeah, I grew yeah. up uh, back east, on the east coast doing a lot of mountain biking. I had trails next to me, so just as a kid, I really enjoyed being out in nature and in the woods. And we had some great single track out there. So and then when I moved to LA, with it's all fire roads. So I took the mountain bike out a couple of times and just gave up on it because it was long fire road climbs. It was hot. It wasn't what I used to. So it took a bit of adjusting. And you turned pro. When did you turn pro and how did all that come about? Just uh, from 2014. Starting- yeah, I started transitioned from the road and then got really into uh, single speed racing. I was working at this awesome bike shop up in Topanga, um, Topanga Creek Outpost in got into they introduced me to mountain bike racing did a 24-hour race on a team and i loved it loved which it which race was that was it a it was 24 hours of herky creek uh it doesn't exist anymore it was one of the it was part of the 24 hours of adrenaline series you're gonna have to educate certainly me but um probably some of our listeners as well like it's there's this whole world of uh, like races both both gravel uh well, obviously we know dirty Kansas and leadville and various others but the, the scene in the U.S. is massive. Tell us a little bit more about the the sort of cycling scene from the road, the gravel, the mountain bike. What are the big races? Is it flourishing? We, you know, I spoke to someone last week, and certainly at the top end on the road scene here in the U.K., we're actually losing losing races. But what's what's going on in the U.S. at the moment? Yeah, it seems like it's definitely the the road scene has slowed down i know there's a bunch of local like they were staple races out here redlands and those kind of things that they just the turnout has dropped way off and everyone seems to be putting on fun gravel events and that's where it's uh gravitating gravitating toward these um so that's it gravel's the new uh gravel. we'll come on to gravel in more depth in a bit but yeah what about the, the big famous mountain bike races what are the sort of key the key big sort of long long mountain bike races are they are they still thriving and going well? They are, yeah. The, I mean, the the biggest, the least endurance mountain bike race is the Leadville One Hundred. That's the one everyone, yeah. most people talk about and know up in up in Leadville there. And there's the whole the so NUE series, times, right? Yeah, yeah. The NUE series for endurance, um, National Ultra Endurance Series is big, and then there's the US Cup series. That's all the cross country ones that draws in. Um, the UCI pros, there's a couple UCI HC events, and then um, they've got all the other categories as well. So those are the the bigger ones, like cross country wise. It's Benelli Park and Fontana and uh, Vale Lake, at least out here. Those were all the the cross country races. And we, you were doing those racing for for a team as a professional for you moving to gravel. Uh, yeah, I was. I raced for a shop, um, Peddler's Fork. That's when I turned pro. I was with them, and then uh, transitioned to Giant back in was that about 2017. I was on the co-factory I, team on Giant, and then the factory team last year. Cool, and and that's I think I saw um, saw a YouTube clip of you. That's when Dirty Kanza was eight, 2018 and 2019. You did that, right? Yes, yes. I uh, yeah remember somewhat being filmed for that. It was a very delirious time. <laughs> what's it like i mean i know i've got a couple of friends who've gone over and done it but i'm sure there's many people listening that would you know it's on the bucket list it's probably become the premier or the most renowned gravel race anywhere in the world at the moment tell us a little bit about it the organization the whole the experiences as a whole as well as the sort of pain and delirium you mentioned as well oh boy yeah it seems like uh along with a lot of these big events now getting in is one of the harder parts getting a spot you know leadville and kansas a lot of them are it's lottery system so fortunately there's um if you're with a team or a sponsor you can get a spot but uh, a lot of times it's lottery so it's luck of the draw but getting in i you know, I'd done Leadville a bunch of times. I've done it five times now and just figured, oh, Kansas, you know, you hear about it being kind of rolling and flat and it is no joke. Um, (laughs) It went out there just (laughs) completely underestimated the race and the amount of fitness that it takes. It is a brutal, brutal day. Hardest day I've had on the bike for sure. At least the first year I was underprepared for what I was getting see, into. But you've, I think, I think uh, you, you're obviously understating yourself a little bit. I mean, you, you've been relatively successful. I had some good results at Leadville, but but Kansas was kind of next level is what you're saying, right? It was next level. Yeah. Really, there's a big difference between 100 and 200 miles. Um, yeah, I bet, yeah. <laughs> obviously half yeah. the distance, but mentally like, hey, I've done 100, I can do 200 and realize out there at the 100 mile point, it was like mile 105 the first year, it's completely fell apart. Like Charlie horsing cramps. And then you realize you have 
I had a hundred miles left and I could barely turn the pedals. And I, I knew I was in huge trouble at that point. Yeah, it's funny. I have to confess, I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you, but I was actually following you um, d- during the race and, and by a hundred miles, you kind of right up in the mix. Right? <laughs> I was, yeah, I was doing okay. I was feeling yeah. pre- pretty good. And uh, yeah, I think I chatted with you. It was, uh, did a little blog or something the day oh, before the race. Yeah, I remember yeah, sitting exactly, in the rental yeah. house chatting with you. And so I was watching it. I was like, "Shit, man, he's right in the mix. This is this is serious." And I was in Hong Kong at the time, so it was like a massive time difference, the other side of the world. And then, yeah, second half, I was like, "Shit, I want, is he okay?" What's, oh, is, uh... Yeah, no, I wasn't. I was not okay. I was. I think it was like top ten or twenty, the hundred mile mark. It wasn't you know? It, was, yeah. it wasn't that far behind. And yeah, I was chatting with Jens, and then it just it completely went sideways. It's still awesome. And now um, you mentioned before you've you've metaphorically hung the the pro wheels up. Now is that is that right? I just have, for fun. Yeah. yeah, just for just for fun. I'm, I'm starting to find some enjoyment and and just riding again. I'm riding a lot with my kids, which has been great. My six year old Rex is really really into it now. Being out of school and living so close to the trails, he just wants to go ride his mountain bike so we've had some great fun together super cool and and that's kind of an interesting question from a parenting perspective i mean given that you've lived that pro life which is not a glamorous life it's a hard life right at times i mean would you encourage him to to pursue the cycling as much as he can or or just ride for fun uh i think just ride for fun i i I would let him make his own decisions and and do what he enjoys and at least through college, the colleges out here have amazing mountain bike programs. Um, some of them, especially in Colorado. So if that's something, a sport he wanted to pursue, I would say, yeah, pursue it like, like any other sport out there, but, uh, yeah, always, always have a backup plan. So you, can, you can go and do college mountain biking, right? There are. Yeah. There's, um, I know like Fort Lewis in Colorado, some of the giant guys were there and have a friend that's going there and, um, yeah, they've got some great programs now that didn't exist when I was growing up. Oh man, yeah, I wish I had. Yeah, it would have stopped me uh, getting so fat at university. So that's, <laughs> <another story. laughs> um, yeah, that's cool. No, I mean, I think gravel's kind of new and and certainly seems to bridge the divide between mountain biking and road. Do you see the shift from road to gravel? Do you think it's a, a little less stuffy? Is there is a different vibe? Would you say, or what, what's the general perception? And and how are the gravel riders? feeling about more of the roadies coming over like ef education uh, and giving the, the gravel races a bit of a go yeah i mean it definitely was that way a couple years ago three four years ago it was um you know it was a little more casual it was a lot of them were unsanctioned it's there's lots of beards and lots of beers and lots of it was just a really fun vibe and then it, it started to get more serious you know as bigger sponsors got on and the rides got faster and suddenly times that used to be top five top 10 i'm now you find yourself cracking the top 20 or 30 and the competition just goes up and up and uh, yeah a lot of the road engines coming over with uh grand tour training it's really it's really hard to hang with with uh guys on that level but it's still yeah, have, it has the fun vibe at least on the front row it's everyone at that level it, it's really chill and really fun and there's a lot of high fives and you know, the little farther you get back, the people that are coming from the road for the first time, I know there's a little more nerves or anxiety about it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I've, it's, it's managed to retain its soul, has it? Cause it's kind of seems from the outside to have that, that vibe and you hope that roadies aren't sort of turning up and, and, and wrecking it. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's kind of, it's been a different feel, you know, a lot of swapping poles to, you know, kind of the, every person from their for their self aspect that's kind of started to infiltrate in the last last year or two so it, it's changing for sure yeah there's well, you know i think if we can i think if we can not knock the edge off the stigma around some of the cycling disciplines and and we might see that off the back of this pandemic as well you know i was, I was chatting to chris mcnamara last week i think given certainly in in a lot of the northern hemisphere most of road season's probably gone so we're probably going to see a lot of roadies transitioning into like maybe cycle cross or mixing things up. So I think it'd be kind of cool if we try and mix all the disciplines up a little bit more. Yeah. And it's such a democratic um, genre. I mean, if you're cat four, cat three road racer, you're never going to line up against um, the EFS guys or, you know, be able to hold on to Lachlan's wheel for a while. And now, you know, you're out to dirty Kansas and suddenly you can, and you're, you're riding with these guys and they you know you used to hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You can. I. I most of us. <laughs> well, there is, uh, it's called a neutral rollout. So, hey, that's okay, fair enough. 
I uh, that's about uh, what I try to hang on for as well. Fair play. And with you know, obviously, it's still a relatively new discipline, and we're seeing more and more sort of tech around gravel bikes coming out and stuff, and some lovely, lovely machines. But obviously, the mountain bike scene started with sort of rigid, bright bikes, and then introduced front suspension, then rear suspension. Where do you see gravel bikes? potentially going do you see some more suspension or some more tech coming into the gravel bike uh, yeah. arena as well potentially i mean there's that balance between efficiency and weight and technology i think uh flame frame flex has played an important role lately and uh, the geometry's gotten a little slacker you know i used to race a, the tcx cyclocross bike and then was got to uh, test out the revolt when it was a prototype and just fell in love with it from a geometry standpoint. It's, it's more like a mountain bike. It's slacker handles better. It's got a little more frame flex, so it's comfier, but as far as suspension, it'll be interesting to see. I know there's some, yeah, shorter travel options coming out. You know, Niner's got the full suspension gravel bike, but as far as comfort, yes, I don't know about raceability yet until the weight and lockouts get uh, situated better and how did it work when you were riding for for obviously for a trade team did did you were, were giant asking for your feedback at all or was that was that like a two-way thing that you could provide them yeah it it was amazing it was very cool to be able to test out and give feedback and you know being a taller rider um it was cool to to give feedback on frames you know maybe add a little more here a little more there and actually get to yeah get your voice heard it's cool to be a rider and be able to give feedback on products about what you like and how you want it to ride and then and then see that kind of hit the marketplace it was really neat yeah we've actually had um, a good friend of mine an engineer on here and he's he's a taller rider as well as well as um dougie from edinburgh bike fitting and it is an issue once you get to sort of six foot four isn't it that the the geometry and making that work particularly on road bikes makes it it's very difficult for a taller rider oh it's incredibly difficult and i'm such a bizarre size that no one will ever make a commercial bike that fits me exactly right so there's a lot of seat posts which gives some nice flex um and i'm also super i'm not light and i'm hard on bikes so i guess from a testing standpoint if i can't break it very good chance nobody can and did you i suppose you i don't know who knows when we'll ever be able to travel again but did you ever get out to taiwan being riding for giant i didn't no no they're uh the global headquarters it's awesome is uh, or the u.s headquarters is right up the street in newbury park so got to hang out there quite a bit they have an awesome showroom and you get to see all the, the cool fancy shiny bikes on the wall and yeah they're they're local here if you get a chance honestly taiwan is, is one of the most amazing places i've ever been to ride a bike it's just a it's absolutely spectacular it's incredibly bike friendly and it's yeah well worth uh, well worth putting that on the to-do list yeah that's what i hear it's, it sounds amazing now tell me have you ever done an everest thing <laughs> uh accidentally uh Have you? <laughs> yeah no, it wasn't on purpose so i guess back uh the balance between accidentally does it ever thing uh the balance when you you've got small kids and a wife who is um extremely patient with your training when we go on weekend trips i would you know the compromise when i would ride my bike and meet them there and we went up to to big bear for a weekend and um it's about a little over 200 it was about 200 miles maybe um and angeles crest and some incredibly hilly roads so it had turned out uh, to ride there was about 14 miles and 29 and a half thousand feet and i you know hadn't really done my research before and <laughs> turned out it was a very very long day and i had underprepared but had a blast doing it i bet you did yeah i bet you were late home as well <laughs> i got there i just beat the sunset when we got up there which was good because i didn't have lights and what, what do you think of all the it's kind of fun seeing uh during lockdown the the everest craze has really exploded what did you think of uh keegan taking phil goman's uh, record uh yeah good for him that was awesome to see it uh, go back and forth so fast something that uh, was shattered and then uh like just handed off so quickly it's cool to see where where the sport's going with that and people keeping it interesting and fun and it's like the whole trend of digitalization of everything it's riding virtually has become uh it's like real life and virtual at the same time it's kind of neat yeah but he's um it was one for the mountain bikers right for him to uh, to to get that record he yeah he is so fast i know i've raced with him at crusher have you tushers he's incredibly fast that guy's amazing yeah is he just a supreme athlete oh yeah amazingly fast it's one of those uh yeah just a lot a lot of talent and you mentioned the digitalization there i mean i 
I, this is a, a huge assumption because we've only sort of we never met, but I, I couldn't imagine you sort of jumping on a turbo and doing Zwift racing. That doesn't <laughs> when you've got, when you've got trails outside your back door. I can't see that being a thing. Have you, have you given it a go? Uh yeah, I I enjoy Zwift a lot. I'm friends with some of the people there. Well, yeah, from a from a standpoint of when I can't get outside and train, we're fortunate to have amazing weather and trails here. And uh, I was on it. I broke my collarbone a couple years ago, and that's when I immediately got the appeal when I couldn't ride outside and I suddenly understood what everyone in Michigan and Wisconsin goes through like four or five months of the year and got the appeal once I tried it and then yeah and then for um Floyds of Leadville we've started to do some uh Zwift events as well during the lockdown when people can't ride together it's like how can you get a bunch of people together for a group ride well you, you do it on Zwift so I think yeah, there's a, definitely a place for it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a huge fan of it. But just having seen some of your your photos of where you live, I, I just couldn't imagine you doing it. But yeah, fair enough. it's just <laughs> awesome. Great yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, the, I see people posting yeah the screenshots of theirs with Fred, and it's it's hard to get excited about. <laughs> exactly. About oh no, that. don't get me wrong. I, I love the platform. I use it. <laughs> I use it a lot. But, uh, oh yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. And uh, given given that you've ridden, obviously you you race competitively on on the road and and mountain bike and and gravel as well. I wanted to ask you about Matthew Van der Poel. I mean, like it's it's a different engine. Mountain biking, road biking, and gravel biking. I, I, I suppose the perfect gravel rider has the has the endurance of a of a road racer and the sort of explosive power of a mountain biker would you say that's right have i got that right would you say or yeah it's in the combination of all three though i mean it's like a different species like usually it's one or the other and the fact that you can possess somebody can possess all of those qualities it's it's amazing like if i'm a crow he's like a peregrine falcon and just it's i don't even know how it translates. If you're a crow and he's a paragon Franklin, God knows what I am, but it's, <laughs> it's nuts. And that's, I mean, when I first started gravel racing, I said I loved it because you didn't have to do anything very well. I was like pretty decent road rider. I was a decent mountain biker. And then gravel, it's like if you can handle a bike well and you can ride long distances, then you could be a pretty good gravel biker. And now it's, that's completely changed. You have to be really, really good Hello? at everything to be able to do it too. Hey, Ryan. Yep. Are you there? Sorry. Oh, shit the bed. I thought I'd lost you there. Uh, hopefully we haven't lost the recording. Oh, um, I think we're still looking. My internet dropped out. Sorry. Where where, where, where were we? Oh, no problem. Uh, was, yeah, just the gravel racing. I was saying that Yeah, when I initially got into it, I thought that I was gravel racing was one of those things you didn't have to be super great at anything. And that's why I enjoyed it and could do okay at it because I wasn't a sprinter. I wasn't the fastest on the road i wasn't the fastest on a mountain bike but if you combine all of the mediocre elements you could do pretty well at a gravel race and now it's completely changed you have to be <laughs> really good at uh, all three of those things to be able to be able to podium now it's the talent level is incredible and people that can do all three I have the utmost respect for them that you could train endurance and speed and somehow nail them both yeah did, did you think he's kind of an exception to the rule or do you think we're going to see more people excelling cross-discipline? I, I think we'll find more people doing it as people realize that they can. It's one of those things that is relatively new and as more people try it and have exposure to it, suddenly I think there'll be a whole new a new wave of uh, athletes that are to figure out that they can do it all. And tell me, so obviously you hung the wheels up. What, what are you, what's keeping you out of trouble? What are you doing at the moment? Oh, at the moment, riding with my kids, um, working from home, which is nice, have a flexible schedule and live in a great area where I can get outside a lot, doing yard work, cooking, actually, most weekends have been filled with, uh, with cooking, which I really enjoy. So and wine you, you, and you wine, your wine as well, I I'm, I'm a huge wine nerd and very fortunate to live next to some incredible wine country in Santa Barbara as well. So before, uh, before all this, it was, you know, a regular at least monthly trip to go up and hit the tasting rooms and shop and do all that so now uh, just doing it from home excellent and, and for us over here in europe what, what are you loving at the moment what should we be keeping our eyes peeled for that's coming out of the west coast uh, i mean the natural mo- wine movement's taken off uh, a lot here um so the more european style so we're finally getting on getting on board with you guys the you know lower alcohol less ripe more food friendly higher acidity wines are definitely something that we're doing here that you guys in europe have been doing for hundreds of years so i think we're uh, <laughs> we're about on your page now and you've been working with floyd landis more recently as well haven't you is that, is that correct tell me a little bit more about floyd's of level 
Yeah, I've been working with Floyds of Leadville for um, a while now doing their social media and uh, on the marketing team there. Got involved through Dave Zabriskie, who I did the gravel camps with and who's a really good friend and uh, had the opportunity to take on social media there and do, yeah, take on a larger role in the marketing and marketing and content team, which has been great. And as CBD's grown and, you know, make the yearly trip to Leadville, so get to hang out there and got involved with them that's cool so before we come on to the cbd because i've got some questions i think obviously it's a far more mature market in the u.s and it's just sort of creeping into the uk here but um i'm right in saying that there was a floyd's of leadville team as well were you involved in the marketing for that or what 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 happened there no that was that was a separate entity that was the um the money from the lawsuit that that Floyd got the whistleblower yeah, he said I wanted to I want to fund a cycling team and make that happen for a year and he did. So that was a separate entity, but they yeah, it was more like he sponsored it rather than you guys were all involved in it. Kind exactly. Of yep. It was the title yeah, sponsor yeah. of that and made that happen for the year. Which was pretty cool to see how well they did. It was amazing and they yeah, fixed yeah uh, did the mixed terrain racing and it was fun to see them do really well. Travis McCabe had an incredible year. Yeah, it's very cool indeed. And um, just, yeah, obviously, I'm sure you've watched uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan. Uh, have you seen that yet? Uh, no, actually, I have not. I'm probably one of the only people that hasn't. I've been following it closely in the LA Times. but It's pretty cool, man. It's worth watching. But um, I think ESPN have just released this this Lance thing as well. I, I haven't seen it yet. But um, Dave and Floyd, what are they like? How long have you known them? What are they up to now? Good guys. Yeah, do they great still guys. talk about their racing days, or can they still do it? Are they, have they still got it? <laughs> they, they'll talk about it if if you ask. I know um, I've known Floyd for a couple of years, but I've known Dave. Been really good friends with Dave for the last about six years. Um, met in 2014 and did Leadville together, and he lives right down the street, uh, pretty close to me. So we hang out a lot and have done a bunch of rides. And yeah, he's. Still riding the bike, still enjoying it. He was one of the original gravel people years ago. He used to take his uh, drop bar Air 9 out on the trails. People are like, what is that? His Franken bike. And, you know, it was one of the first gravel bikes. And he's been pushing that kind of just fun gravel riding for years. Yeah. Yeah, wicked. Because actually, he didn't actually, I, I might be completely wrong, but he didn't retire that long ago, did he? I think it, when did he retire? It might have been four, 13, I think. 14, right around 13, yeah. I think. Right before it was end of 13. Yeah, yeah. And then met him in 14 right after he had retired and was, yeah, just looking to ride for fun. And So he still had some good legs on him in those days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's still fast. And and he'll, you know, if he's not fast at the moment, just give him two weeks and he'll get right back up there. It's pretty funny how it can just happen so quickly again. Yeah, it's pretty annoying if you ask me. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but, uh, a couple of serious days of training, and yeah, he's right back there. And yeah, so they're, they're both great yeah. guys, and it's it's fun to be uh, yeah be able to hang out with them. So talk me a little bit through. Obviously, as I mentioned, CBD sort of creeping into the market here. It's pretty well established in the US, but we we have got people listening from all over. I don't know if you can, what you can tell us about it and who benefits from it um i can i mean i i've used it i can talk you through my experience with it but you know just for someone that's never really come across it how should someone decide whether it's worth giving a go and and what's it used for yeah i'd be curious to hear your experience as well but i mean floyd's leadville started in 2016 floyd started it he had used it to help in his recovery and in pain management and discover the benefits and back then it was relatively unheard of here as well and if you could find it it was you know at a natural health food shop and incredibly expensive and difficult to come by and we passed the farm bill back at the end of uh 2018 uh, i think it was december of 18 the farm bill passed in the u.s and that suddenly opened up the legalization for hemp growing you know in all 50 states and made interstate commerce legal so that's when it really started to, to uh to boom here and people started to try it and yeah, people have enjoyed it. So it's it's been taken off a lot as people become more familiar and start incorporating it in their daily routines. And now athletes have discovered it as well. They're relaxing and recovering uh, post-race, post-training, sleep. A lot of people use it to um, help them if they are having sleep issues or, yeah, need a better rest. So people use it for that. Yeah, So because I think that there still is a, a stigma around HTC and CBD. So j- just to sort of clarify, 
supply that there there is there's no thc involved in the products is there it's it's non-psychoactive it's it's a derivative from the hemp plant help me out here am i right am i wrong yeah. So it is non-psych. Yeah, it's CBD itself is non-psychoactive, and there is. So we offer Floyd's of Leadville has two lines. There's our isolate products, which have no THC, and that's just CBD isolate from hemp plants. And then our full spectrum products contain uh, less than 03 percent THC, which is an incredibly low amount, and it's non-psychoactive. So that's like the whole plant extract. It's got all the more cannabinoids in there. And there's the, some research has indicated the entourage effect. Um, so when it comes from the plant as a whole compound, it interacts yeah. uh, with all the other compounds. So yeah. as an athlete, you can use, if you know, if you get tested and if you're worried about testing or THC levels, you know, the isolate products we always recommend because they have no THC. So you never have to worry about testing positive for THC in your system if you're using those. And granted, cool. yeah. And it, and it's 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 legal all over the US now and all states. Yeah, we can ship to yeah all fifty states now. Um, so yeah, legal. And, and what about abroad? Are you allowed to ship abroad? And do you ship abroad? No, abroad has different rules. We do not ship abroad. So we're just in the US at the moment. Um, I know there's yeah, there's talk of European markets, and it's it's very complicated with. Uh, it, international commerce of it yeah yeah and i've heard that and that's quite interesting as i said I'll, I'll come on to my story in a little bit but i mean it'd be good to get your thoughts obviously do, do you own the full life cycle so do you own from farm to product uh now that's been the work of the last year is integrating fluid had the foresight to start uh last year working with amish farmers in pennsylvania so he grew up in lancaster in uh, amish country and these a lot of these farmers had you know, they had grown tobacco and it was kind of a depressed agricultural area from that and uh, helped them convert to hemp. So there's a full growing operation out there now, which is really cool. Then, yeah, processing facility. We have this really cool ultrasonic machine from Germany to process okay. hemp. Yeah, so technology full seed to sell shelf, which has been awesome to see because you can control all the aspects of it as well. And it helps keep the prices low too when you're manufacturing and growing and processing it yourself. Yeah, and also the quality assurance, and I think that's probably from a from a consumer perspective the, the biggest concern. I think you've obviously seen this explosion in CBD products from drinks to foods to oils to patches to absolutely everything, right? So, oh, yeah. um, and, and from the research I've done, it's kind of it's kind of critical uh, a how it's extracted, but more importantly, you know where it's grown, you know what pesticides are used, or hopefully no pesticides are used and stuff like that. So, is that the kind of niche that you're trying to build the whole? from farm to product owning the whole life cycle exactly yeah and all of our hemp has uh been grown using organic methods and it's all third-party laboratory tested and verified which a lot of cbd on the market if you get it and, and there's you can google blogs that talk about it they test and some of these products contain little to no actual cbd which is which is pretty wild because it's you know an industry Very, right yeah. Still, yeah so you don't know what you're buying so that's one of the reasons that uh, I enjoy working with Floyd's as we do a large educational push and aspect with that to help educate consumers and be transparent with all our results so people know exactly what they're getting. Yeah, I'd love to um, get some links off you if possible from, from, uh, that we can put in the show notes so people read up about it because I do think it is really interesting. I think that the, the tide of opinion towards it globally is changing. I'd love to get your views on you know, for people that might be considering buying it. They're not in the US, so they obviously can't buy Floyds of Leather, which naturally they would if they were, of course. Um, but <laughs> what should they be looking out for in terms of what brand and and what strength and how should they, what questions should they be asking in terms of trying to figure out what where, where it's sourced, et cetera? Yeah, I think transparency is key. Any of the, the higher quality CBD products are going to tell you where they're coming from and they're going to have published results. Like we have QR codes on all our products. So you can scan it, see the batch code, the test results, and you know you know what you're getting rather than just picking up a cheap brand that has no information on it. So just do your research and know what you're buying and make sure it's been uh, tested and verified and the company is transparent with what they're selling you. Um, make sure you're getting a higher quality product. Yeah. I, it's easier said than done though. If you go on, you go on these sites and try and really dig a little bit deeper there's i think there's a lot of white labeling going on so brands are using you know white label companies and stuff yeah there are and there's reputable white labeling companies as well too so any decent uh, white label companies will have results as well that you can see if you find out but uh, talk to people there's you know the shops that sell it people that are in the industry or shops that sell it are uh, more familiar with it as well so if you're somewhere that you can't uh, have easily you know, have easy access to it then you can 
ask somebody that knows about it, that sells it, that they should be able to tell you and just stay away from the cheapest stuff you can find online. It's generally never a good way to go. Never good. Yeah, exactly. Don't go cheap with stuff like this, <laughs> which is very true. And what what about the strengths that people should be? Because I've seen now there's some like crazy, crazy concentrations. What what sort of strengths should people maybe start with or, or look? What, I mean, what do you use CBD? What 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 do you tend to? What's I your, do. Yeah. Most people start with about 25 milligrams um, for their when they're starting out um, once or twice a day is generally how it how it started. Studies have shown that it's better to space out the dosing throughout the day. So not just taking a big hit all at once, but kind of spacing it out um, seems to be a little more effective. But yeah, generally on 25 milligrams is where people start. So there's um, soft gels as well as tinctures are the most effective method per se because they're the higher bioavailability, they go directly in your bloodstream. You're not digesting them. Anytime you digest something, you're losing a large percentage of it. What are so they? Sorry, I, I missed that. Tin, tin, tinctures. Tinctures, yeah. So it's like the yeah. oil, the pure oil with like the, the eyedropper. Oh, the little, yeah, the little yeah, bottle. The little, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people are terrified of them. They'll order and be like, what do I do with this? I don't know what it is. And you just put a couple drops under your tongue. It's pretty easy, but uh, it does, you know, it has like an herbal taste. So that can turn some people off if they're uh, expecting something that's flavored or sweet or yeah it's, it's a strong herbal taste but oh and you use it for just 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 general um recovery from from workouts and i do yeah before bed usually before bed and first thing in the morning before a ride it's kind of a way to it helps clear the mind a little bit too i find as well um yeah. so i just enjoy that little bit of, of effect from it yeah i mean i moved back to uk probably about nine months ago and i have to say that i ended up on xanax to, and when i came back here i, I tried to CBD and just just from a anxiety perspective just made a huge difference just in terms of yeah keeping keeping equilibrium and keeping in a bit of a better place so um I never thought I would try something like that or it was on my rate it wasn't on my radar and again I kind of my assumption with more the sort of THC cannabis side of things so I wasn't particularly sort of interested in exploring it but I, I did try it I was persuaded by my sister and uh, found it very very beneficial actually nice yeah my, I've got my my mom uses it now which is fun too and she was totally against all that and again had some anxiety issues and is now a huge fan so it's fun to see yeah. as people try it and kind of word of mouth is a big one somebody tries it and uh, recommends it and it's somebody that you trust and you give it a try and find out that hey it you know it doesn't have the stigma now that it once did it's nice to be able to try something without feeling like there's a stigma attached and it, it's more of a widely accepted substance and as well as obviously with floyd's you're doing some other freelancing stuff i saw that amazing will you send us the link that we can put in um in the show notes of the trip to tell us about that trip to mexico because it looked incredible oh, yeah <laughs> it's it's a wonderful place so i had a chance to go down a couple years ago to um Copper Canyon back in the fall of 17 and was uh, dying to go back. So my friend Al, who has a marketing agency in Michigan, is a great dude and rides bikes and his family, he actually spent a lot of summers there. His family restored this uh, really old hacienda down there into this incredible hotel at the bottom of Copper Canyon. So He's been wow. uh, my my tour guide down there, so we got to go again, and yeah, I wrote a fun little piece for Peloton about how to go down there and how to go about it because it, it can be intimidating. The language barrier, it's super remote, yeah. it's not the easiest place to get to, but once you once you do it, you realize it's not that bad. And the bike scene down there, there's some mountain bike races that have come back, and the riding is it's just incredible. The people are friendly, the scenery, the the food, it's it's a really special place that uh, is pretty untouched by the modern world still. Oh, wicked. And it feels totally safe when you're down there. There's no no concerns around safety or anything like it, that. It does. Yeah, it's very safe. There is, yeah, there was some cartel wars for years that prevented uh, at least Al's family from going back. And then um, 1617, it became became safe again. So it's, it's opened back up and it, it feels very safe. Yeah, it's one of those if you just you know, kind of stick to yourself and mind your own business. There's really no reason to feel, to feel unsafe. Wicked. Well, you have, please do share that, that link with us and we'll get out of there. If, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's well worth having a little yeah, look in the show absolutely. notes. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. So you're doing some freelance writing and is it mainly within the cycling world or? Uh, no, some different products. I'm doing some social media and freelance writing for, um, yeah, another agency, Lyman Agency, which has been fun. Um, done some stuff for Al Q&M for some social media. So yeah, taking pictures, writing stories, helping give 
brands a voice. So that's, I'm really passionate about that. So doing some shorter form and longer form writing for different brands at the moment, which has been really good. And what, I mean, obviously I'm not sure when any of the lockdowns gonna, gonna end, but I mean, how, how do you see things developing in the U S with regards to getting the racing scene? back up and running are there any kind of announcements in terms of stuff being put in for september october november december or ne- is it all next year now no it's so bizarre it's still a holding pattern i think everyone's just kind of holding their breath and waiting to see and one by one things are just getting canceled later and later in the year you know leadville got canceled recently in august um, i think kansas is supposed to be september i haven't heard anything to the contrary but that seems wouldn't hold my breath on that but i don't know what the answer is other than the time trial seems the only safe format to race yeah. these to stagger starts and yeah. have it, you know, everyone's starting 30 seconds apart and no contact. So I don't know how you're going to put 2000 people on a starting line together at the moment, at least for the, the near future. It's not going to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Man. And, and that's the one discipline you haven't done. So you need to get yourself a time trial. Back. <laughs> Apparently uh, I know a guy who was uh, pretty good at it. So maybe <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> on that note, on that note, let, let's let, obviously you, you, you know, a lot of uh, supremely um, gifted athletes, but who's, who've you ridden with against that's just blown your mind in terms of pure talent? Who, who's the most talented rider that you've, you've raced with or against? Oh man. Or just seen. On the discipline, but um, I mean, riding with yeah, Colin at Dirty Kansas, just watching him, Colin Strickland. Yeah, Colin Strickland, knowing how hard Dirty Kansas is, having done it, and then knowing how hard it is even in a group of 10, 12, you know, just riding it in a pack, trying to, there's headwinds, um, you're trying to draft. And then just him being able to solo away for the win with, you know, was it 100 miles? I, I don't know how that can be done. It's it's a different level of power right there to be able to hang alone for that long and maintain that distance. Yeah. Well, is it is that physical or, or is that mental or a bit of both? Uh, it's got to be a bit of both, but definitely physical. I mean, you've got to, from the form to being, yeah, your aerodynamics have to be spot on, your nutrition has to be spot on, and then you've got to have the strength to be able to hold those watts because you know, you're pushing 20, 30% more power on your own. Um, so you have to have the power to be able to do it. It's absolutely nuts, isn't it? Um, it's nuts, that, that's, yeah. that's a good point. Uh, t- talk me, so talk me through, say, Dirty Kansas, 200 miles, uh, the nutrition. On the nutrition side, how how do you even start planning? What does it look like? Oh, I wish I knew. Um, there's no... <laughs> yes, I, I've still experimented with it and found uh, it's such a hard balance of trying not... A lot of people eat too much. You know, you can only process... You know, it was like 200 calories an hour something close to that. So it's you either eat too much and get yourself sick or you try to hold off, you know, and pace it out and then you end up bonking. And once you do that, it, it's so hard to recover from. So I'm a big fan of eating real foods. I like figs and baby bananas, stuff that my kids eat from Trader Joe's. I pick up a lot and ride with those, but it's yeah, spacing it out and then eating just timing your eating is a big one and staying hydrated. Kansas races like that are hot. You're sweating a lot and it's, it's self-supported. There's not, you know, people handing bottles every couple miles. So you really have to stay on top of you know, when you're filling and how much you're drinking and eating. And and is that like, if I was to ask you like your favorite race, not your favorite, cause obviously it's pretty painful at the time, but number one race to do, what would it be? Oh, number one race to do um, for the gravel scene. Yeah. I mean, Kansas, it's kind of a bucket list race. It's one of those if you really, really, really want to test yourself. It's a great one to do. Crushing the Tushers is another great one. Burks built something amazing in Beaver, Utah that's just punishing. It's You can do how you can do a race and finish on a mountaintop and never get that final descent is so frustrating, but so <laughs> rewarding at the same time. What's the name the, of that one? Crusher in the Tushers. Crusher in the Tushers. Okay, we'll put that in show notes. That sounds yeah. sadistic love it that's always a great training one as well and beautiful country you're up in the uh the aspens above timberline some of it in uh in utah and beaver utah so that's a really cool one and the community comes out there's you've got kids giving you bottle handoffs on this the call to crush oh, this mate. incredibly difficult crime so just the community involvement there's really special and that's so that's um that's not anyone can enter that it's not a pure pro race right there's a lot of no, yeah anybody can enter yeah and that's hasn't gone lottery at the moment. So that was when you just got to sign up early and get your entry. Okay. So that, if the world opens up to travel again, that would probably be 
other than Dirty Kansas from a bucket list perspective, that would be the one you suggest people look up and they want to give something a little bit different? Or what, what, give us a couple of races that the people from outside the US should go and have a think about if they want to get over to the US and do some travel and, and do a race. Yeah, that one's really fun. I've done, let's see, some of the locally around here, one of the best, if you want some Southern California fun and get in the views and experience, um, Peloton puts on the gravel mob in November above Ojai. It's one of the most spectacular routes. It's about 70, 80 miles of, uh, just amazing terrain. You go to the top, you're in uh, Los Padres national forest. You can see, Oh, for, you know, a hundred miles in every direction. Um, Wow. It's a, a relatively small one, but it's one of those, if you're going to be out here for a week or traveling, it's it's one to incorporate. And Ojai is this beautiful little town. So it's got a really special little feel to it. That one's kind of near and dear to me as well. If you were only able to have one bike forever more, road bike, gravel bike, mountain bike, or potentially a time trial bike, depending on what happens in the next <laughs> few months. Um, you know, the time trial bike. I love my gravel bike. I have the Revolt and it's I can do everything on it i have 40s on there and 99 percent of the trails around here i can do on it granted more slowly than on a mountain bike i can you can do the roads a little more slowly and you can do the fire roads amazingly fast so it's one of those that you can ride everything on and i love it it's a good challenge even the most boring trails will feel more fun when you're on a gravel bike just in the drops kind of railing yeah talk, talk us through your gravel bike setup what have you got on there what 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 um yeah it's a pretty much fully fully stock revolt yeah i run the 40 maxis ramblers big fan of those i've been running them for years they never really let me down uh, i've been using the cush court inserts for a long time now i've been working with them since uh the early days and it's amazing you can pretty much not flat it's between cush cores and a dyna plug there's really like it's it's a flat free setup which is amazing so you rarely get stranded yeah that's that's a game changer that is yeah super long Sorry, go stem ahead. and post yeah super long stem and post i think i've got a 130 stem on there and incredibly 130, 130 and an extra long post for my freakish geometry yeah hey, we talked about your freakish geometry a lot throughout this show how <laughs> tall are you I'm six six, but I have a uh, six six. six okay, six, no wonder like you a... gave up road racing, man, because road racing yeah. must have been a nightmare to oh, get a nightmare. Set up. I have, yeah, my inseam's close to it's like a thirty-seven inch inseam. So, I mean, just finding pants alone are difficult, and yeah, my torso is not that long. It's all in my legs, so that's why geometry-wise, it's nuts. So, yeah, road racing yeah. is not my forte. Look, I really appreciate you taking the time to to come and have a chat with us. Uh, I'm, I know you're like me, you're you're locked in with uh, young kids as well. So thanks for taking the time. What we'll do if we are you still doing the gravel rides or is that sort of is you sort of fully focused on the on the CBD thing now? Uh, not at the moment. The way we've done the last ones has just been kind of on a we've done them from a marketing perspective so like a corporate group or a marketing team will come in or a group of friends will book us but we found that's been the best way to do them if we're going to do them have everyone know each other's it's really hilly around here and the riding's pretty difficult so it's when you're riding with strangers it can be a little more challenging but when it's a bunch of friends or people together that know each other or an event it's uh yeah it it just works out better so we're here as a resource we do yeah guided tours so yeah that's what i mean so if there is a group of friends out there that um want to go explore the Malibu Hills and gravel riding around it, they can reach reach out to you. And I suppose if anyone's got any questions just with regards to mountain bike or gravel riding and events in the US, they can drop you a line. Absolutely. Um, and the same with regards to the Floyds of Leadville and, and the CBD as well. I mean, I really think it's going to become far more mainstream. I know it already is in the US. I suspect it will do over the coming months and years in in, in Europe, here in the UK and further afield as well. So yeah, let us, let us know if you've got any information we can put in around just how someone gets over the hurdle of, of maybe trying it for the first time and how safe it is and what it's all about as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share. And then, yeah, if anybody needs any route or ride or rental recommendations in Southern California, I'd love to be a resource for that. So don't be shy. I'm happy to, happy to help point people to the to the good spots. Wicked, man. Well, there you go. If you want to go out to Southern California, I have actually got cousins over there. So I would love to get out there not, not too distant future and uh, maybe do an event or come do some riding with you. That'd be brilliant. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Is there, um, have we got anything else? Any questions? Anything else that we've missed? Uh, yeah, actually wanted to, yeah, there's another side project I've been working on that's that's pretty amazing. Got involved last year with uh, SEC Tech Chain Lube as uh, started testing it and 
yeah, have an end on the digital marketing side now from just using the product at different races. It's the only chain lube I've ever used that is at Kanza Leadville without reapplying or cleaning the chain at all it's self-cleaning um adheres to the metal it's pretty wild stuff so been lucky to get involved with them and that it's really unique product so how how, um how did you find out about it i mean what what's how do they make it unique i mean i don't know how lubes differ from one to the other what what, i know everyone thinks they're all the same and i had a i got a sample was it two or three years ago and it was one of those things like "Ah, all chain lubes are the same just tossed it aside and then started using it last year and it's one of those products that it has a polarity to it. So it's it's got a magnetic property that sticks to the metal. And it also has a detergent in it that cleans and pushes um, any particulates out to the surface. So they clean away rather than like getting stuck in the actual lube itself. So it, it self-cleans and yeah, and it sticks to the chain and it lasts. And you can three use to that on any chain, three to 400 miles per application. And it's uh, yeah, mud, dust. I know it's the only thing I can, like when you're riding in dust around here that doesn't have your chain crunching and mud. Yeah, it's a pretty wild thing. So that's another little fun tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. Will you please send us the link for that? And and and, and there's worldwide dis- distribution with that, I take it? or Ship, Yeah, it's big in the US. It's out of Salt Lake. It's still kind of a newer company, but yeah, I think ship anywhere worldwide so that's nuts because I, I i read an article not long ago actually just about just the how detrimental um a dirty chain can be to to power i think you're losing like three or four watts potentially so if you're doing like a, a leadville or a dirty kanza and, and you've got something you don't need to reapply and it's keeping it clean for for the whole race yeah it's... why did, why did you struggle why did you struggle last year it should have been easy <laughs> yeah i'd struggled less but yeah, it's one of those yeah chains are one of those weird things too that you always you don't want to stop and clean it during a race but you always wish you had when you're crunching and grinding and you get you know you don't want to waste a couple minutes doing it so yeah drive drive train love well i'll have to get my hands on some of that and we'll uh give it a test but cool we'll put that in the show notes as well i think we've wrapped up pretty much everything haven't we yeah good chat yeah that was fantastic thank you excellent all right look really appreciate it if anyone's interested in cycling in southern california in cbd in uh, chain lube or anything else we'll uh, make sure ryan's details are in the show notes as well so you can drop him a line thanks so much for taking the time mate really appreciate it and we will catch up soon no doubt sounds good wine tasting tips too any tasting rooms in uh, the central coast area i'm your guy too oh cool excellent <laughs> Great. this is brilliant i've got my, my holidays planned for next there you year go. Already. vacation <laughs> one stop all right you, you guys take uh, take care stay safe and we'll catch up soon man all right thanks so much thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.